Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, on today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Zachary Britton. Zach's a realtor and real estate investor in Kitchener-Waterloo area in Ontario. He's definitely a great guy and a lot of fun to chat with. He's also a regular guest on the Canadian Real Estate YouTube channel. We talked about the current market, working with investors. Also, we dive into tiny homes and backyard suites. I think you'll enjoy the show. Hey, Zach. Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. How's it going today? Good, good. Like I say before we got on, you know, bank holding me up a little bit today. There, you know, some trouble uh, getting some payments done, but you know, it is what it is. Easy yeah. days. It's summer. Easy days. That's good. That's what we want in the summer. Can you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and where you're located? Yeah. So I'm in Kitchener, Waterloo, Ontario, Southern Ontario, baby. Full-time real estate agent, full-time investor in real estate. You know, me and my partner, Matt, we help clients buy and sell properties. You know, over about 50 to 60% of our business every year is investors. And like us ourselves, we've been investing in Waterloo Region real estate for five years now. Personally, for me, five, Matt, longer. but We've been in business here for seven years. Nice. That's awesome. And what's keeping you busy these days? I know we said summer vacation, but are you, are you actually getting any vacation? We did. So I turned 32 first week of July. My partner, Matt's the same age. We're having kids, man. So I got a six-month-old. He's got a one-year-old and another one on the way in the fall. You know, not too much action when you're outside of the family and the business life when you got little kids. Here in Ontario, you know, cottage country is huge. So if you're about anywhere, about two hours north of the GTA, freshwater lakes, nice cottages. So we went up to Perry Sound and went up to a campsite that we got a bunch of friends that go to. You know, we stayed in the hotel for the nights, but went into the beach for the day. You know, other than that, the farmer's market and, you know, go see grandma and grandpa is about as much vacation as we're getting in for the next few months. Nice. Yeah. When you got little ones, just getting out of the house is a win, right? Yeah. We have an easy baby so far. So that's been fun. But like, Aside from that, like summer, like I always thought summer would be like really busy in real estate. It's kind of not like spring is wild every year without fail, but summer, like clients are, they're off with their kids that are off on school. They, you know, they want to move into the family home. Like I got a lot of investors right now that are, you know, hunting deals, but like our local market kind of taking a little bit of a deep breath. So those investors are like, yeah, we're actively looking, but there's not a ton of inventory because you know a lot of people are just kind of saying, hey, we want to know what's going on. So we're just doing like a lot of like strategy planning. And then for a few clients that are active, you know, show the homes and throw in some offers that make sense and go away with it. Like so that's pretty much all we're doing the last couple of months here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Alberta is pretty similar. My experience in Calgary, the spring market was insane. Yeah. And I have noticed has pulled back with my buyers, that kind of thing. But our inventory still remains low and definitely still going into, you know, multiple offers, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but the frenzy isn't quite as much there. Just people are looking at the summer vacation and just, it's just trying fine. to take their time. Before I got in the business, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be crazy busy till the fall. And then it'll start to slow down other way around. Usually like, July and August is pretty chill. And then September, October, November, holy crap, everybody needs to get their deals done or move before the end of the year. It gets busy again. And like for us, especially this year, interest rates kind of kicked the teeth out of some buyers and some sellers. They're just like, you know what, maybe we just won't pull the trigger. So a lot of our people are just, you know, getting their properties ready for the fall, maybe. 
or, you know, hey, let's start making some calls to the mortgage broker. Let's start having some conversations to build a portfolio with our agent and our advisors, figure out like, hey, you know, should we be making moves before the end of this year? Or is this maybe more, you know, next year stuff? So like a little bit more planning than action for me and a lot of my people, I think this summer, which is honestly welcome for me. You know, we got a little kid at home and, you know, the market's not necessarily commanding, you know, a ton of action right now. Yeah. Are you guys going into multiple offers because of the low inventory, that kind of thing? Or were you in the spring? Good question. So Calgary's like market in terms of how much competition there is, I feel like is very similar from what I know to my market. So like we've had below two months of inventory for over seven years straight. Oh, wow. Like strong sellers market. Like it's crazy. But, you know, we still have over less than two months of inventory right now, but we're only seeing multiples on like stuff that's priced like holy crap low or stuff that's primo location, premium condition. So if you're priced super low, no matter what, you're getting tons of offers. If you're a premium location or premium condition or both, then you're getting a ton of offers as well. Most of the stuff in between, you know, you might see one, two or three. Whereas like this spring, you're seeing five to 10 on everything. Five to 10 offers on virtually every, especially freehold, every freehold property pretty much. Crazy. I don't want to like overgeneralize this, but there can be a difference between if I'm working with an investor client versus a client say that just needs to live in a property, they're just yeah. looking for a property for their family. Not all, but some investors, as soon as the numbers don't make sense, they're out. And what yeah. I found was if they're buying, like, you know, if I've got clients from say Ontario or BC, and maybe it's their third property, the urgency isn't there the same as, you know, me and my family need a place to live yeah. and we're going to have to rent or we're going to be homeless if we don't find something. Right. So I found that in some of those cases, because the market was so hot in the spring, some of my buyers kind of disappeared or they just kind of sat on the fence and just didn't move on anything. Yeah. My investors were 50, 50. My homeowners were like either, yeah, you know what, we're going to come back next year and see what happens then. Or it's like, no, it's happening now. So for like, owner occupiers, it was yes, like this has to happen or you know what, we're going to wait till next year. And then my investors 50 50, especially if they were looking to offload and sell properties, if they kind of were at the tail end of the spring market or missed that spring market, we're straight up just telling them, Hey, look, what price points that you were looking at in the spring, I'm just not as confident in that right now. So if you don't need to sell the property, then maybe let's spend the next six to 12 months you know, maybe updating some of the units or adding some features or increasing the curb appeal or having conversations with the tenants about, you know, moving out if that's what they need to do to position the property for either a refinance or a sale maybe next year. That's why I said like a lot of our right now is a lot of more planning and strategy for our investor clients because those home run deals and the market conditions are just a little bit softer than they were, you know, let's say four or five months ago. Yeah, that makes sense. Just to kind of get more of your backstory, how did you get started in real estate investing? Yeah, like what's your journey look like? So I always had that investor mindset since I was about 18. I kind of understood like, you know, don't spend more money than you make, save money, you know, put it in an asset that's going to increase in value over time. Like the basic, basic idea of investing. My mom gave me the book, The Wealthy Barber, and I didn't read. I moved out of the house when I was right down high school. And she's like, no, no, like, please, like, save your money, basically. And then when I was in college, OSAP, the Ontario Student Assistant Program, that's how you get like student loans. I didn't need it for my tuition because I'd saved my money to pay for my tuition. And I worked well in the summers to pay for schooling. But I took an OSAP loan and used that to invest in my TFSA to invest in the stock market. I was buying some, you know, low risk ETFs and, you know, lost a couple hundred bucks and then made a couple hundred bucks and like broke even and was like, I can't be investing with money that I have to pay back to the government. This is way too risky. <laughs> Stepped back and started reading like just a lot more on investing. So it started with the stock market. 
I was studying economics and finance and business. And then when I got into real estate, my partner, Matt, good friend of mine that I lived with in college, he was a contractor. He was around, you know, the young twenties. He was out there going and making great money as a contractor and was thinking about getting into flips and maybe get his real estate license. And when I was done school, he got his real estate license to sell real estate and help clients and do flips. And he met a guy that he was going to join his real estate team. And that's how I got on to that real estate team. I interviewed with them, kind of talked my way onto that job. And it was just a natural progression. Once I had enough cash stacked up from selling properties, I had to go buy my first home and I wanted it to be an investment property because it was just me and my wife. You know, we didn't have kids, no dogs, no pets, no obligations. We just needed two car parking and, you know, two bedrooms. So bought our first investment property, which is a duplex conversion. And that just kind of like, whoa, you know, you can really maybe do something with this. Yeah, that makes sense. What does like a good cash flowing property look like for a lot of your investors there in Kitchener-Waterloo? I just like to say I don't sleep on house hacking. I'm a younger guy. I work with a lot of first-time homebuyers, first-time investors, and like don't sleep on house hacking. And that's like get a bungalow property. Like I know at West, not a lot of brick bills, right? A lot not of at right? all. not at all. Yeah. Tons, tons of brick property here. Anytime I got family coming in from the West side, they're like, oh my God, look at all these brick built homes. But like our market's got a ton of that brick built bungalows, side splits, back splits, raised bungalows that you can add a cheater on suite really cheap in the basement you can go put a little kitchen down there for you you stay in the one bedroom with a little kitchen in the bathroom in the basement go rent out the three bedroom upstairs or if you're young like rent it out to colleagues or friends or cousins and family you know five six hundred bucks a room or split the rent cost 50 50 with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or something like that because you can get a single family home that's still not outrageously like expensive and eventually you can convert it into a legal two or a three unit property or renovate it and live in it as a single family home in the future. But like, I love those deals for our younger guys and girls, like teaches you how to get permits, sweat equity, if that's what you want to do, or how to get quotes and talk to and work with contractors. If you're going to pay them to do the work, it also teaches you how to work with potential tenants on either getting leases or renting it out per room. Like you learn generally how to become a real estate investor and a landlord all at the same time while living on the cheap. So like, I love those deals because there's a ton of those single family properties you can convert into triplexes or duplexes if you want to take the investing seriously. But if you don't want to take it seriously, those are like middle of the pack properties that you can sell in a pinch to anybody because they're really in demand. Other than that, we love duplex conversions triplex conversions, and then just, you know, the larger multis. That's the space that we've really started to go into your six, eight unit plus properties. I won't speak for the other markets, but in like larger markets in Ontario, those typically don't cash flow on acquisition unless you're bringing 30, 35% down. So what a lot of people do is what we did was we would purchase three, four, five unit properties because we could still get residential mortgages on them. And those would typically cash flow with about 20% down. But if you want more units, in one purchase or one unit more units in a property, you got to go commercial lending. You got to come up with more down payment inherently, but typically the rents for those properties haven't kept up with current market values. So price of the property has gone up, but you've had tenants in there for five to 10 years that are paying half of what they should pay because rents came up so quickly during COVID that the initial acquisition numbers kind of look tough. So a lot of our clients have tried to purchase those properties on let's say private or B style lending and then update the properties, update the rents, move that into the A space. Those are typically for, you know, a little bit more advanced or investors that have a little bit more cash at hand. But for, you know, people looking for their first, second, maybe third investment property, purpose-built triplexes, purpose-built fourplexes, duplex conversions that you can add a third unit on, like 
there's still a ton of options in Kitchener Waterloo. Yeah, that's great advice, man. I think you said don't sleep on a house hack. What did you mean by that? Don't sleep with how powerful it is. Like living on the cheap, learning how to update a property, even if you're not handy, like renting out rooms or renting out the lower level or the upper level to whether it's a stranger or a colleague or a family member so that they can help pay your mortgage. Like my wife and I did a duplex conversion for our very first property. And that allowed us to go do two additional properties six months after. And then those two additional properties allowed us to go do two more. And like, that was just kind of a, the ball at the top of the hill. And we just pushed it down and let it roll because we were in the market. The market's appreciating over time. We're adding value to the property by improving the condition and renovating it. And as a house hack, if you don't have a ton of money to go renovate a property right away, no problem. Go live in a property that's a little dated, but in a good location, get some rental income coming in, help pay your mortgage and live a little bit cheaper so you can save more cash and reinvest that cash into the property or reinvest that cash into another investment. Like I think to just check so many boxes for newer investors to learn and actually make a ton of money. So you know, if people are okay with sharing living space, which a lot of people aren't, that's kind of the big hesitation. It's guys like make that sacrifice for a year or two. If you're, you know, under 35 and don't have kids, you should probably be busy building your career and learning and figuring out what you want to do for the rest of your life anyway. So it's not like you're going to be at home just hanging around all the time and want all your free time and free space. So I just think it's such a good opportunity. I agree, man. The leverage that you can create and the confidence and learning you get from that, right? Just even if you break even on that first one, Corey, like the amount you'll learn that you can apply to future stuff, whether it's your career, your business, or another investment, like yeah. the, the learning experience alone is worth hundreds of thousands. So if you happen to make a little bit of money, great. And you probably will. But I just think it's such a good and such an underutilized, like I work with a lot of younger buyers and that idea to them of being a landlord or of, you know, dealing with a renovation or, you know, living in the basement while you rent out the upstairs, they're just like, oh no. And I'm like, okay, well then, you know, pony up a few extra hundred grand to go buy a brand new property. And, you know, you're going to have to carry all those expenses yourself. So if you're okay with that, do it. But like, if you're coming to me for real estate advice, investing advice, and some financial advice somewhere in between, you know, I'd be taking a closer look at that. Yeah, I agree. You lived in Calgary for a while, didn't you? Is that right? I did. Yeah, yeah. So Oops. when we met, I mentioned, I was like, oh, crap, you're from Calgary. Great city. So that's where I moved when I was done high school. I did all my schooling, grew up in Kitchener-Waterloo, right downtown here. And then I don't know about you, but like when I was kind of like grade 11, grade 12, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my career, but I also knew that I didn't really want to do school that bad. I had good marks. I could get into universities and colleges, but I was like, you know what? Like, I kind of just want to work. I like working. I want to make money. And I had a cousin that moved out from Ontario to Calgary that had a few properties and said, Hey, yeah, I'll put you up on the cheap. So I moved out, you know, had like three, four job interviews, got two or three jobs in my first week or two out there. Cause you know, this was, you know, over 10 years ago now, this is 12, 13 years ago, Calgary was still booming like crazy. I could make an extra five to 10 bucks an hour just working out in Alberta and then move back to Ontario and go back to school or go buy a property and, or start a business. So yeah, I lived pretty central Northwest. And then I worked in Eau Claire. I worked at the Eau Claire YMCA before they shut it down. I was oh. back in, yeah, I, was, so I, was <laughs> I remember that in, yeah. in September and I took my wife, she'd never been to Calgary. So I took my wife for a walk down there and it's all getting developed. And I was like, oh, that's where yeah. I used to work. Shit, it's closed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was a lifeguard there for a year. I worked at a restaurant. I worked at another pool as a lifeguard instructor. I was making pretty good money for an 18 year old kid. And then uh, snowboarded a ton. Like I was a big snowboarder back then. So, I mean, like 
I can't even snowboard in Ontario now. I was spoiled. I got sunshine and Louise for a year. I just I can't do anything less than that. <laughs> That's awesome. Have you ever seen, actually, this is kind of off topic, but but with the snowboarding, there's an electric, what do they call it, longboard you can get now. And you have a controller in your hand. A buddy of mine kind of got me into it. And it feels like you're snowboarding or you're surfing on pavement. It's wild. Like It has the rubber really? tires. And this thing can rip, man. It it's can a, it's like, a longboard, right? It's a longboard, yeah. But it's, it can go. it has a brake and it can go like 50K an hour. 50k on a longboard and if you're crazy enough to do it i can't do it i might get that 20k mark 22 or something but i would kill myself on a normal board but this thing actually it's amazing how quickly you can figure this thing out that's sick so we yeah. have an iron horse trail where there's like an old railway that goes through the cities and basically yeah. they paved over it and that's now like a walking trail to connect like downtown kitchener and uptown waterloo that would be money for that that would be fun yeah you can travel yeah. up to 40k on one battery charge too it's insane that's terrible. These things. <laughs> okay, so let's dive in. Part of what our conversation today is going to be about ADUs and tiny homes. So what is it? Accelerated yeah. dwelling unit, right? Yeah, additional dwelling unit, accelerated dwelling unit. Do you guys have that? You guys have like lane houses or coach houses in Calgary, right? Yeah, it's like a carriage. Or are they like, it's not like a gray area. Garden suite, that kind of thing. But they tend to not be, at least in Calgary, they're very expensive to build and they ROI. So if you build one in your backyard, it's going to take you, as you know, maybe a $300,000 investment. And then it's basically more practical if you have maybe a reason to have one. So maybe yeah. you have, you want the in-laws close to you, that kind of thing, or your parents. But yeah. as an investor, it's certainly not really cost effective to do that. It's, it's more cost effective to legalize a basement suite or that kind of yes. thing, or basically take a lot and start yeah. new with a fourplex, that kind of thing, or duplex, right? Yeah. So, so, so it's, lots in Southern Ontario are just like straight up just too expensive. If, unless you're doing like something at scale, the cost to acquire and build is still so expensive compared to what you can just go out and purchase. So a lot of, for you guys, if it's going to cost you 300 grand to put the ADU in the back or the garden suite in the back, you're like, well, you know, why don't I just come up an extra 150, 200 grand and just go buy a new freehold detached property and just renovate that instead. Then I yeah. got a beautiful new single family home for, yeah, way more money, but it's way more property and way better value. Yep. So- <laughs> It's kind of like you know, sometimes people buy the old bungalows, you know, from the 50s yeah. and they're like, oh, why don't I just throw a second story on it? And actually, when you look at the numbers, it's not cost effective at all. You might as well just go buy a brand new infill, exactly. you know, that's right. As opposed to trying to take a, an old product isn't going to be structurally. And you got to retrofit it too. Like, oh, yeah. It's, a, it's an enormous cost. Old, right. And so yeah. for us, quickly became apparent that like eventually we'd love to get into developing some small redevelopments we have kind of lined up for the next three to five years. But beyond that, we'd love to get into larger redevelopment projects in Ontario, unless you want to go to smaller markets further away from the GTA, you know, buying good cap rates and cash flow positive properties and good multi-units at a good cost per door is tough. Even in our market, it's tough. So basically what the Ontario government did is they said, well, there's a lot of freehold detached properties that are on big lots that have space where we can add additional units. And so about 10 years ago, it became really popular to start taking your bungalows, your properties with walkout basements, your properties with walk-ups or separate entrances to the basements, go put a legal second unit down there. And that's how we've built our portfolio basically up until now is those and small multi-units. And so you'd buy a dated bungalow on the cheap that needs a ton of work. You demo the whole thing and you put three bedroom upstairs and a one or a two bedroom in the basement, right? Cut yep. a couple extra big windows in there so it doesn't feel like a dungeon. There you go. The numbers of those still make sense. But where it gets really juicy is if it's going to be 
too expensive for me to go out and buy and do that to a new property, to do a duplex conversion to a new property, then what we're going to start doing is we're going to start adding units to properties we currently hold that allow for it. So if it's going to be too competitive and too expensive to acquire a new property in the market, we'll start adding ADUs or third units on our properties that are duplexes or fourth units on our properties that are triplexes if they allow. But basically in our city, like any residential zoning, you can put up to three units if it conforms to the local bylaws, right? So are we talking like a tiny house? Like would that yeah. work? Like let's say, you, you know, someone's already built the tiny house. It's on the wheels. You pull it in. Can people actually do that there? So I've put talked it. to a few larger investors that are trying to work out prefab, but typically what people do is they'll just pour a slab foundation. They'll just okay. pour a slab. They'll run all the utility rough-ins. So everything on it, except for water is separate. You have like your own water drain, but you have to connect it on your side of the property. So it's only one water source from the city. So that kind of annoying. But other than that, like pour the slab, you can like, we're building an 800 square foot ADU on a property that we converted into a duplex last year. We just started it. We're pouring the foundation next week. And so- What kind of cost? So 800 square feet, it's a little bungalow, is it? Yeah, it'd actually, be a bungalow. actually, that's a good size. So, but it's on a slab. It's no, there's no basement. Yeah, so no basement, but like the primary bedroom's big, second bedroom's small but you get an open concept living kitchen, you get two car parking. It's a small bungalow, small bungalow without a basement. So yep. young professionals, old couple, single individual that wants a nice space and an office to work from home, boom, perfect. And like, if you're GCing it yourself, you could probably build it depending on how big and how nice you want to finish it between two and 250, let's say a quarter, 250K safe. If you want to go over the top, spend up to 300. But I can rent that out for 2,500 a month. So mm -hmm. I can build it for 250K and then I can rent it out for 2,500 a month. So like I can't acquire a brand new two bedroom unit for less than 250 grand, but I can build it only if I actually have already acquired the property. Yes. So yeah, you already have the land. People, you already have the land, you have the space. Exactly. So why not put another unit? Exactly. And so what a lot of investors will do too is like us, like we kind of hit a financing wall where we are now having to jump up into commercial financing for virtually all of our properties, which is fine, just a natural progression of our growth. But where I was going with that is, is if you have a ton of equity in your properties, then you can access that equity. So you can just take the HELOC, go build the ADU in the backyard of your property, and then put a brand new mortgage on it. So the very first property that I purchased is a crappy bungalow. I call it the cat pee house because it's stunk like cat pee. <laughs> that's why I got such a good deal, boys and girls. That's how you get the good deals. That was a smell um, of money. And so if you haven't heard of it, pro tip for any of the people that are going to be watching and listen, Kills, K-I-L-Z, the paint product that gets rid of the smoke smells for like fires and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Money for animal smells. Money. Oh, I'm sure you know of ozone as well, right? Ozone treatments. Yeah. So I haven't had to ozone yet. I've heard mixed reviews from some of the people that I know on that. Some people swear by it. Some people like we've done it for like pot smell, for cigarettes, for like, you know, somebody burnt the stove in the upper cabinet. Yeah, we took all that out, ozoned it, good to go. But for us, we, you know, bought a shitty bungalow for 425000 converted it into a legal duplex. This was four or five years ago now. Mortgage term is going to be up next December. I'm going to take a HELOC on that property, use the HELOC to go build the ADU before the mortgage term is up. And then once the mortgage term's up for renewal, put a new mortgage on it. No money out of my pocket to build the ADU. And I'm going to add about 2,500 bucks a month in additional rental income. That's awesome, man. Then with the prefab thing, you said you looked into it because you would think that would be a lot more cost effective. Someone you was think. just like, what would a prefab? Uh, I have no say, idea. I couldn't okay. get answers. Cause, I cause, see. Okay. So we started talking to people about that. Some larger in commercial mortgage brokers, commercial financiers and commercial investors. 
they have relationships with regional builders. So if a builder has a build site, they can just slap up five to 10 of these prefabs, load them up onto a truck and go deliver them. Then yeah, like I you think- You see the utilities, you base your sewer, your power and water and you're done. Like yeah. that would so be- You do the rough-ins, get the inspections for your utilities and all your runs for that. Get the foundation poured. Foundations poured, they show up and set it all up. I see potential in that. The only tricky thing with that is going to be, you'd need to crane it because a lot of the mm. problems the ADUs is you need distance between the neighboring homes. Yeah. So you have a house, I have a driveway right beside it. I need a separate laneway for EMS and fire to be able to get to. And, you know, there's only a few areas that have really big frontage where you're going to have so much room that that's never going to be even close. So how common is the back lane there? Couldn't they haul it down the back lane and bring it in? No back lanes in Ontario, baby. Uh, Not like Calgary. Calgary has a ton of them. Not every neighborhood, but we have a lot of back lanes. So we have no back lanes, but we have street parking during the year. So except for the winter, you can just park on the street in front of your house. Okay. But no laneways. Interesting. And then how hard is it there to legalize the suite? So Calgary has an amnesty period. I've kind of covered it in other episodes. And every seems like every municipality in Alberta has a different take on legalizing a suite. How difficult is it there? Most of Ontario is like, yeah, we need your units because we have such a huge shortage. But the municipalities are super different on how easy they are to work with and how difficult they are to get permits approved and actually like inspections passed. So Kitchener, our home market, amazing. They're basically being like, we want you guys to permit it and we'll work with you to make sure we get it done as opposed to being really, really difficult in getting permits and inspections passed because their model is we'd much rather have people at least permit it and try to do it legally than people just making the process so slow and difficult that people just do unpermitted work, yeah. right? And so basically in our city, if you apply for a new permit, if it's residential, so 10 units or less, you don't need site plan approval. You just submit the permit application and they have to get back to you within 10 business days. Wow. So they'll give you a yes or a no within 10 business days. Perfect. They give me the yes. I start the demo work. I booked a pre-site inspection. Inspector shows up within a week or less to come look at the property after it's been demoed. Awesome. And yep. then to close it out, like there's a few things that people can get stuck on. The obvious ones are ceiling height, daylighting, fire separation. You need minimum 6.5 ceiling height. You need a minimum percentage of daylighting, right? You need interconnected fire alarms. And you need to basically make, like if you're making a basement suite, Corey, they have to be completely separate boxes. That's the way I describe it. Is like, what about heat source? Is that sure? That can be the same. So what you do is you just install a smoke detector on the furnace so that yeah. if there is a fire, furnace turns off so it doesn't blow smoke or fire. I, I love that. Alberta, Calgary, they need to pick that up and start doing that. Because do you have to do separate heat oh, yeah. So Calgary has an amnesty period based on when that suite was installed. So if it's after 2018, it's not a part of the amnesty. But And that's Calgary gave investors a bit of a break or homeowners, but every other municipality, you're like in Red Deer or any other place, you know, Edmonton, they're going to make you pull out all the drywall in the basement, enough to get all the plenum separated and two separate furniture. So, oh, you must just add $25,000 to your plan here because that's what they're making you do. And all those problems just make it more attractive. Just go either buy new or go, you know, or they just leave it illegal because it's like, this is ridiculous. Right. I have heard a lot of that. So we used to have a lot of illegal basement units in Kitchener, Waterloo and Cambridge, old two stories, downtown city centers, you know, but the ceiling height isn't quite high enough to make them like legal units. And this was before you were allowed three units on residential lots. Right. So now you can come back and you can, you know, either maybe dig those basements out or you can ask for some sort of minor variance 
to allow for that unit to be legalized as long as the fire separation's there, case by case basis. But like hey, our municipality is basically like, hey, Zach, hey, investors, like we need units. We want to work with you. And that's yeah. like a lot easier for us to get stuff done, especially projects that we're adding units to existing properties or adding new units like the ADU. Like, don't get me wrong, there's hiccups, like any building, any permit anywhere, but much yeah. better. Can you just rent it to short people? <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. That's a dad joke. You can. And it, well, as a tall guy, yes. Yeah, you as are tall. tall guy, you are tall yes. guy, yeah. <laughs> So this, the tiny homes ADUs are starting to kind of pick up some yep. momentum, right? Do you see some sort of bottlenecks with infrastructure? So I know like with the electrical side, sometimes, you know, transformers have to be upgraded and like- uh, Good question. Sewer lines, like if, if everybody's like, I want an ADU in my backyard and, you know, I'm sure at some point, like right now you're fine, but at some point the infrastructure is going to be overloaded and the city's going to have to do something I about think- it. If I had to guess, I bet you it's going to be the parking that's going to hold people back as yeah. opposed to like the actual like utilities. The reason I say that is there's minimum requirements for parking for units. They'll give you more forgiveness. So like if you're in the downtown city centers and you don't meet the parking ratio, so like X amount of parking spots for X amount of units, they'll give you variances for that. So that which, you build Which more makes units. sense. If you have the infrastructure in place and people are walking and taking the train, that exactly. kind of thing, right? Like Exactly. The, they don't so you guys vehicle. have the train there. You guys got the tram. What do they call it again? The LRT, yeah. Yeah, so we just got that about two, three years ago here in Kitchener and Waterloo, and they're extending it out to Cambridge. I'm like, you guys have no idea what Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge are. It's just three old cities that grew into each other about an hour and a half, you know, southwest of the GTA. Yeah. Right? But the LRT will be the light rail transit that connects all three of those cities. So if you're close to that, then yeah, they'll forgive you on the parking. But we haven't had any problems with electrical or water there's some local municipalities like smaller townships like close by that a lot of locals from the city will move out to and then just commute in you know towns like 30 40 minutes away and a lot of those towns have had problems growing because of water they can't get the water out there they're fixing that now because it's it's all surrounded by farmland that they're going to develop but here in kitchener don't foresee that being like a major problem in the next you know five years they're pouring so much money in infrastructure here. Yeah, that's great. Hearing some people call it a housing crisis now, it's no longer. It like is. A, yeah, or emergency. Emergency is the other one, right? It's like, oh, it's not a crisis, it's emergency, I've heard. And ever since I've been in the business, we haven't had inventory and they can't build them quick enough or cheap enough. So there's no incentives. Like for me to go out and want to develop or go build, it's insanely expensive. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of builders and developers and big time investors that are making a ton of money, but it is so expensive and time consuming to actually go and build shit here in Ontario. It's a yeah. problem. Yeah, I agree. And then the recent legislation changes in Ontario, it was, could you maybe just cover that a little bit where they've kind of almost opened it up? Is it three and up to four? Yeah. Is, that, is that what it is? Yeah. So basically assume if you have a residential lot, you can put three units on it as long as it conforms to a local municipality. So if it meets the requirements for the ratio of square footage of living space to the ratio of square footage of the lot, if they have the proper ceiling height, the proper daylighting, the proper fire separation, the proper utilities, like all of Ontario is basically like, we need units. Let's see if we can't redevelop existing residential areas because you have detached homes on nice big lots that instead of using it as a backyard, maybe we're going to put another unit or two back there. And that's Ontario wide. Municipalities basically say, yeah, we adhere to the Ontario rules, but they have to fit, you know, our local city rules. So you know, you still need to know things like heritage districts, like parking requirements, like setbacks, like minimum or maximum square footage and daylighting requirements if you're adding units. 
but like straight up cities in Ontario need to build more units and Ontario government's basically be like, we don't give a shit, figure out a way to go build more in your area that already has residential properties. Like, yeah, yeah. they're opening yeah. it up. That's, That's a good. simple Zach Britton explanation. <laughs> Ontario government is like, yes, let's build. We're not going to do anything about it, but we are going to let small to medium sized investors, you know, we're going to give them a little bit of a win here so that they can add more units. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk about the one you're building and designing. So you said 800 square feet. Did you find that was the sweet spot for one? Like, you know, or was it based on your lot size? You like, got it. Is that what it is? Would you have gone so, bigger had you had a bigger lot or, or is there kind of a price point or size? Feeling? I think up to a thousand would be great. Those are just hard based on the lot sizes and the houses that are already on those size of lots. So let me paint you a picture here. I've been around Calgary enough. You guys have, you know, lots of bungalows and raised bungalows in some of the neighborhoods, you know, they're about close to a thousand square feet, you know, maybe 40 to 50 frontage, maybe a hundred to 10, 120 deep if you get a nice lot. Right. And then you got the laneway out the back. Right. So those ones, you can't build the ADU as big as the existing property. And it cannot be as visible from the front of the house. So it's not like I could go build a two-story ADU to add more square footage because then I could see it from the street. Okay. So you just think about it. If I'm a city planner, I can't have people go in and change the look and feel of a neighborhood by building monstrous properties in the backyards. So it has to be, how do I add units without completely changing the neighborhood in a way that it'll actually be quality living spaces at the same time? Take those three kind of variables, mash them together, and you get ADUs that are a percentage of the existing properties square footage. Okay, that makes sense. Based on the lot that that existing property is on. So if you have a small house, big lot, you have the lot size to build, but the ADU can't be bigger than that small house on that big lot. So you're looking for a medium-sized house on a big lot. That you then can you put can at least two, two bedrooms. I'm sure you're looking at least two bedroom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you want, so you can do basements in these, but then you're excavating oh, dump costs and way more concrete costs. So... You really like, we had a client purchase one. We helped the client purchase one, three bedroom upstairs in the bungalow, three bedroom downstairs in the bungalow. That was the legal duplex on the property. Then they built a two bedroom ADU in the backyard. And the basement was like 10 foot ceilings, primary bedroom with an ensuite, den in the basement, upstairs, open concept, three piece, fancy bathroom off the kitchen, spare bedroom on the main floor, like done to the nines. I'm not building ones that nice as an investor. Those just don't make as much money as they cost to build for me. But yeah. like you can build some sweet stuff. But that two bedroom unit, best case scenario, you put a basement in it if you can afford it. But if it doesn't make sense, even a big one plus den in the back, like perfect. You got to think like, who am I renting it to, right? I'm renting yeah. to an old couple, a single individual or a young couple. If they need two bedroom, they're renting a townhouse or stack townhouse or a really big two bedroom condo. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that you can build some sweet stuff you know, sweet. Oh, like that. (laughs) (laughs) How hard is it sometimes on the news to hear a renter, you know, those professional squatters, that kind of thing, end up in a property. And it seems like Ontario has some of those horror stories that come out. And to me, I would be honestly afraid to own rental properties if I lived in Ontario, because it seems like you guys have a delayed system like to deal with some of these people. And so how do you avoid that as an investor in Ontario and keep yourself, you know, so you can sleep at night? The only way to avoid the problems is to get good tenants and have good relationships with them straight up. And even then you're rolling the dice. People change, their situation changes. 
communication breaks down. Or they're maybe being deceitful, right? Hey, I'm a great person. And then then you find out they're not. So we have over 20 units now. I haven't always had that many. We've slowly added to that. But I've had one tenant that we've had to evict in the four and a half, five years I've owned rental properties. You know, that was probably about a $10,000, $15,000 mistake. They were late a few times. We let it slide because they had good communication. Yeah, no problem. They were late again. We served them the proper notice. They were late again. We served them eviction notice. Then they just stopped paying altogether. Took us about six to eight months to get in front of the landlord and tenant tribunal. They ruled that you needed a payment plan. You do the payment plan. They mess up on the payment plan. You submit more paperwork to evict them again. Then it's a few more months until they're out. And like, that's a nightmare situation. You're carrying a property that you're not getting any rent. They leave the property. It's not clean and in good shape. I got to clean up their whole unit, invest some more money to clean it up and make sure it's nice enough to rent out to the next person. All the while, I'm not getting rental income for it. So it is a huge downside. In Ontario, as a real estate investor, I get why there are rules and regulations in place to protect tenants. There's a lot of good people and a lot of bad people out there. You know, it just takes one bad apple to kind of ruin the party for everybody else. And so I think, you know, it's the bad stories that make the news too, right? I mean, a lot of people are having success. They're not having these issues. It's like those few really awful stories. Those are hitting the news for sure. And all the good stories are just, yeah, things are working out like they should. You don't hear hear about them. You don't hear about them. Yeah. And so I can, I can say only one out of the 40 plus 50 plus tenants I've had, I'll take it. But that is a big concern for us long-term. You know, if we really want to aggressively grow a portfolio in Ontario, I don't think the rules and regulations are going to be more in my favor as a landlord. And like me and my team are pretty conscious. Like we have some properties that are really nice. And we have some properties that need a little bit of work and everything else in between. But like, we want to be good landlords. If we are good landlords, we have good relations with our tenants, right? They're a part of our business. Do I want to be their best friend? No. Do I want them to know that we want to do the right thing and help them no matter what? Yes. So having that relationship and that communication helps avoid a lot of the big problems. But like inherently, you're going to take some losses if you're going to be an investor in real estate for 10, 20, 30 years. And that pushes a lot of people out of the business, to be honest. A lot of the smaller investors, they'll have a bad experience and they'll be like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm out. Yeah, I can see that. How do you deal with rent caps there? So what, what kind of stuff are you dealing with? Because I'm just curious. You guys have rent caps? No, we don't have them here. The market dictates our rental rates. So say you do a year lease in Calgary or in Alberta. You do a year lease, right? I'm assuming that's standard. Yeah. Any the- point year, can you bump it or after no, that? No, you have to wait the year, yeah. Once you agree on the price, then you move in, but then you can increase it at the end of the one year. So at the end year. of that year, you say, look, your rent's going up 150 bucks. They say no. Yeah. They got to go. Then That's right. The wow. lease is done. They have to move up if they don't so agree to the new rent, rental. Our leases go month to month and the exact same lease rules apply after that first year term is up. But a big reason why we like the duplex conversions and we like the ADUs is because if they're built after November, 2018, they are not subject to the rent controls. So Ontario government comes out with, here's the maximum you can raise Sorry, your rent. Can you say that one more time? So if they're built after November 2018? After 2018, the same rent control rules do not apply. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. So that's why I have a bungalow, right? Yep. Main floor, original unit. New unit I put in the basement after 2018 is not rent controlled. So the basement, I can raise the rent every uh-huh. year. Right? So as an investor, it's more strategic to buy a bit of a newer suite of property then, obviously. So that's why you build something that's, you know, all the units are brand new after 2018, or you build a property that you're going to add a bunch of new units to in the first couple of years, because then those units are not rent controlled. So the same rules do not apply to the rental increases 
for units built after 2018 in Ontario. So for our duplex conversions, half the units of most of our duplex conversions aren't rent controlled. So if rents take another jump up, lease terms are up. Hey guys, you know, rents have come up 500 bucks. Yeah. What can you afford? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And then how common are short-term rentals? So SDRs in your market, are many mm. investors doing them? It was hot about three, four years ago. I've seen a lot more of those properties come to market and sell in the last probably 12 months. So people who bought in duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, and they've updated those units so they're nice and new, and they've been running them as short-term rentals. And now they've appreciated you know, so much so that they think they can dump them. So they're selling like a vacant triplex or a vacant fourplex. And I don't know about you, but you multi-units where all the units are vacant and the property's in good condition, those are very attractive for a lot of investors because they can go in and they can just start running a short-term rental as well, or they can go charge current market rents because the property's been renovated and it's in good shape and they get the units vacant. They don't have to deal with adopting tenants. So, you know, a couple of agents that we know, a couple of other investors, they have some short-term rentals, but it's more popular in like cottage country. So you want, or beach country, like you want to go- sense. Right. You want to go to Wasaga, you want to go to Grand Bend, you want to go Fort Erie, you want to go down by Sarnia, like, or you want to go to the Muskokas, go get something close to the water or something close to the beach towns, do the short term rentals there because the numbers are just so much juicier. In the cities, you could probably make almost double the rental income, right? But you're going to have some months where you have 20% occupancy, other months you have 100%. So you got to be willing to ride that wave. And if you have it managed, the costs are quite a bit more to have it managed as well. Yeah. So that kind of thing. My partner, Matt, he closed on a cottage. He got a waterfront cottage this year. He put it up late in the season, but I was already booked for the rest of the summer. And like easily, easily, easily. A bunch of his neighbors on that same lake, they do the same thing. They'll take it one or two weeks in the summer and then rent it out the rest. But in the cities, you know, I still think that if you want a consistent growth strategy, long-term tenants, you can use that rental income to help support your mortgage financing, your refi or future acquisitions. If you're doing a short-term rental and you haven't been doing it for more than two years, you can't use that business income to support any lending. And it's harder to get insurance. It's harder to get mortgage financing on short-term rentals in Ontario. So for me as a long-term investor, not a huge fan of them, but and if you yeah, want something- The, that the financing can be pretty challenging. So obviously a lot of investors are being strategic. Yeah, they're basically saying, okay, it's going to be a long-term rental. And then in the end, they just turn it into a short-term rental. Like, Yeah, or right? they can say that I intend to use it as a long-term rental and maybe they change their mind if that's within the rules, right. whichever mortgage financing they're getting, or they're yeah. going to be lenders, commercial lenders that are open to those types of things. I heard recently a, a mortgage broker was telling me that some of the lenders, they'll look at your addresses. They know, okay, this investor owns multiple properties. Yeah. And they're checking behind the scenes to see, does this person have short-term rentals like an Airbnb? And if they do, they won't finance. So like they're doing some like back check. Basically. Super easy to get caught on something like that. And that's just like, if somebody's saying, hey, I want one short-term rental because it's going to generate this much cash flow for me. And I want to use that cash flow to live or to pay for something else. Okay. Like that type of plan makes sense. If that's what you want to do. Okay. But if I have clients coming to me and say, hey, Zach, I want to like start and like grow a portfolio. You know, I'm saying that's probably not the best first or second investment property unless that is going to be your model. What a lot of people do though, is they'll do uh, Airbnb arbitrage. So they'll go rent a property from a landlord for let's say 60, 70, 80% of what the rental income is going to be on it. And they'll just pay for it either upfront or they'll sign like a one or a two year open lease that can get canceled at any time. And they'll just run an Airbnb out of that property and they'll yep. take the difference. That's yep. much more common because the owner of the property has a long-term lease that they can show for their financing if yep. that's what they need. And then 
the Airbnb arbitrager. They're the one that's organizing the cleaning, doing the bookings, collecting the income from the Airbnb to support their income. So it's yeah. just not my cup of tea. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we're getting close to the end of the show here. It's been great yeah. chatting with you. To finish off, I'll just do a few personal questions. So what's a favorite book or movie of yours? Okay, favorite movie. Oh, that's a good question. I used to be really into movies. Snatch, awesome movie. Yeah, it's been awesome movie. That, one. that one's so good. It's so clever. It's so clever. And just the slang, the gypsy and the English slang that they have in that just kills me. That one I could watch anytime. That one's a good one. Books, though. I've read some pretty interesting books. Most recently, though, like a lot of like personal development books and a lot of like business and real estate books, like The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, simple, but it's a classic. The Intelligent Investor for people that are interested in stock stuff, like how to find value, buy it at a fair price, hold it forever, like really simple shit. And then like The One Thing, I don't know if you've read that one. The One Thing was really good for me as I was starting my career because it just reminds you to focus on the most important stuff and let all the other small stuff kind of fall where it may. So if you like, people are out there and they're thinking, you know, hey, maybe I'm getting a real estate investing or maybe I'm starting a business or maybe I want to sell real estate or, you know, start a business and something else. The one thing, really, really good and easy read refresher on like how to focus on what's actually going to help you move the needle and move forward. That's good. Stop chasing the shiny objects or squirrels, right? Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's tough, <laughs> Corey. The shiny objects distract you. I agree. So where's a place you want to travel, like a bucket list place that you haven't been? I am lucky, man. I've traveled a fair amount. I lived in Calgary. I lived all over Southern Ontario. I lived in Europe for six months when I was doing college in Czech Republic and Prague. Great city if you want to, you know, eat and travel and party on the cheap. My wife and I did a dream trip to Greece for our 10 year anniversary last year. That was incredible. But nice. like, I've been to Asia. I love the cuisine. There's tons and tons of stuff to see over in Asia. I would love to do Vietnam and Thailand and then Korea. I would love to do, but like, if you go there, like, it's so far, you got to go for like a month for it to be that's, worth it. That's right. I yeah. can't afford to take a month off with a six-year-old and a couple of businesses on the go. So, you know, maybe when the kids are in school and they need a nice summer break, that could be a good trip. Nice. That's awesome, man. For people who want to get a hold of you, are you on all the social media platforms? What's the best yeah. way to get a hold of you? Yeah. Instagram's great. So Phipps Britain Real Estate, P-H-I-P-P-S, and then Britain, B-R-I-T-T-A-I-N. Google it, pull it up on Instagram. We're really active on Instagram. And we actually do monthly videos on the Canadian Real Estate Channel. So the Canadian Real Estate Channel is a big YouTube channel in Canada. They got you know a couple of guests, mostly from Southern Ontario and all over the rest of Canada, talking about their local market as investors, You know what they're seeing prices like. We do monthly videos on there. So if people want a taste of like what water the region's about, like go throw one of those on in the morning or when you're done work making dinner. Like we talk about prices, rental income, what developments are happening, what we're seeing in terms of value for investors, and just like a quick and dirty way for people to get an idea of what Waterloo Region's all about. There's like 80,000 subscribers on that channel, I think. Yeah, right? it's, it's, I think it was 90,000 now. Is it 90? Wow, it's big. That's what I'm talking about. So my YouTube channel's not there, but Instagram's the best if you guys just want to, like me and my teammate, Derek, we run that. Like it's not like some other company or some bot. Look, Corey, we're looking to do 50, maybe 60 deals a year because I actually want to work with my clients. That's more than enough to support our business, but also not so much that I can't actually like commit to helping my clients run numbers, preview properties for them, like do all the little things to help them get successful. Yeah. Um, and so like if people want to connect, they have questions from anything from private lending to acquiring your first property and everything else in between, 
like we're an open book. We want to connect with the right people and build the right relationships. That's awesome, man. It's been great having you on the show and chatting with you today. Thank you so much for being on. Well, I can't wait to grill you about the Calgary market. I listened to the show because I like that market. I'm curious, but like I have some questions for you when we're done, my friend. But I appreciate having me on. This was a ton of fun. Awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, see you guys. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.